Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm, and that's all right. Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me. I hope y'all forgive them. I'm like Scott and Tommy Corbins. I'm like Pete Southtown, Zan Zan. I'm always speaking my mind, but I'm better off by my tongue. I'm a bad show at the wrong time. Still, I'm a legend of my own mind. I'm good for the song, but I'm not for Welcome to another episode of Two Ales and Hockey Tales with Wally. And today, I am so excited to have on a 56-year-old from Birmingham, England. The former manager of the Sully Hall Barons, but he's better known for his time with the Sheffield Steelers, where he's won two Autumn Cups, whatever those are, five times he's a Challenge Cup champion, part of these, 10-time playoff champion, and nine league championships, Two times he's been a part of a Grand Slam when that's winning all of it, folks. Every trophy. And he's one of the best on the mics in the league. And um, rumor has it he actually bleeds orange. Welcome to the podcast, David Sims. He's won all those trophies and never skated in his life. Not bad, eh? <laughs> that is pretty good. I tell you. that. Well, I, think, I-, I, think, I think skates... skate. I think I've put skates on maybe half a dozen times in my life. Um, so somehow have got involved in this crazy mad world that we're all a part of and uh, couldn't be happier for doing so. Yeah. So that uh, the first thing is I get into how we know each other. And I guess the first time I heard or got to know the Sheffield Steelers was I was a Beatingheim Steeler and came for a weekend to play two exhibition games. It was Steelers versus Steelers. Yeah, we had the same sponsors, didn't we? I'm just trying to think who they were. Um, L-U-K or something was on the L-U-K, L-U-K, that's right, yeah. Ian Allen, yeah. Yeah, so I remember going there. We didn't play in the big arena. We did go check it out, but we played in the old one with the curling rings on it, right? D-E-L, two teams go to I-Sheffield. D-E-L teams go to the arena. Oh, is that what you're saying? I I, I got to go to the little parts. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, that was when I saw how fun the UK league could be because we went, we got, you know, we're a German team. We got to go out after the Saturday night game and we were out with your team and everybody was having so much fun and got to know the coach at that point. Don't remember his name, but he was mentioning how much. I, th- I believe so. Yeah. Like, so some of the guys you had on were Legui, Talbot, Lehman was the goalie, Sarich. Well, they I would have taken you for some, they'd have taken you out pretty well because they're three guys who like to go out. Uh, we, yeah, we had a good time afterwards. That's for sure. I'm so sure um, that the other part is how we know each other then is uh, because I knew about you and I uh, was trying to find work in the 2014 summer. Uh, we were in contact via this website that I did a mass email to all the teams that Dan Seaman told me I should contact. Yeah. Yeah. You remember I mean, that? Uh, I, I got to be brutally honest with you. I don't, but I know the website you refer to. So uh, that was our old uh, player recruitment site, wasn't it? Yeah, that's when I went, I did it on my own because my agent wasn't coming up with much. But then you got me in contact with Gerard Adams. And I think we were discussing an MBA and it was going to take two years. And then he was moving. He was moving to Sheffield or something. And so he, he yeah, was. Yeah, G was, 
when you were in Cardiff, who was your coach in Cardiff? Was that Lord? Yeah, it was this, the first year yeah. of him. Yeah, gotcha. Well, G G Jared was um, yeah was was the coach in Cardiff, and then he came over to Sheffield. But our MBA program is a two year one with the University of Sheffield, and uh, a lot of other clubs just had the the one year MBA, which of course you guys would much prefer. Um, so uh, yeah, that's perhaps why you didn't end up bleeding orange. Yeah, that is actually why that was the determining factor, um, was the one year, definitely. Um, but yeah. I guess... No, it is. It's, um, it is. But the other issue is uh, why I just dislike Sheffield so much over the years is, obviously, if you've heard of the pods, you know how competitive I am. I have. I, 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 I feel this dislike you have for us. Uh, well, you, got, you guys... Um, yeah. Both years by two points. Uh, both years I was in Cardiff, we lost by two points, and that that that's hard for me to get over. Yeah, well, live with it. Um, we we've got like this DNA of the league championship, and it's something that we've always, you know, the playoffs is lovely, but it's a weekend. The Challenge Cup is lovely, but it's it's something in the middle of the year, and because we come perhaps from a football mentality, winning the league. Is is the most important thing, and in our thirty years in existence, we've we've won it more times than anybody else. So, you know, it's something that we drive for and uh, we uh, we love for. But I'm I'm looking forward to getting into this uh, this like of Sheffield. You know, there's a few little quips, uh, anti Sheffield quips when Danny Seaman was on, and then you kind of just led deeds, you led deeds into this anti Sheffield. I tried. I tried. <laughs> And then he just turned around and told you what a great place it was, which it was. And I and I but, said, uh, I said the truth. We have a reputation, truth, right? Yeah, yeah, we have a reputation. I know that, but I think it comes from a desire. We have no divine right to win in Sheffield, and we never think we have a divine right to win in Sheffield. But we do have a divine right to compete, and by hell, will we want to put a team in every night that competes and every night that gives us a chance to win? And if you do that, you'll have a chance of winning come the end of the year. Well, I guess you have had a lot of players that stay a long time and wear your yeah. colors for a long time. And um, yeah, I guess well, obviously, nice, obviously I'm a bit of a sore loser. We lost by two points, both, both years. And, um, but we did win Ready? the challenge cup, but um, you know, then there was times where I'd see you guys release players. I don't know the details. I didn't know them, but I would see you guys release, say more imports than the other teams. Maybe I don't know if that's true. I think we do have a we have a if you if you come to Sheffield to to work hard and to compete, you'll have no problem and you'll stay here for as long as you like. It's like those guys you just mentioned, Laguay and Talbot stayed here forever. Laguay, I think, did nine years. Um, he's coming like, on oh, next yeah. week. <laughs> he's he's a, oh, he's a beaut, he's a beaut. Um, but then there are some other guys that come and, and perhaps they don't buy in. Um, but I will say one thing is that. Like on the hockey business side of things, not one single player has left Sheffield being owed a penny, not a cent. And you can go through Hockey DB and you can go through Elite Prospects and look at every one of them. And not one of them will come on here and say, hey, Sheffield screwed me. Um, yeah, we, we've changed coaches, we've changed players, we've changed lots of things, but it's for the betterment of our hockey club. And sometimes when you're a player, you look at it from just a player's perspective. And when you um, are in the team management or if you're in a, a group of people you you've obviously got to do what's best for the actual uh, hockey club and that's what we do and we you know we try and do it as professionally as we can 
But sometimes you've got to look a guy in the eye and you've got to shake his hand and say, sorry, you ain't going to go any longer. Well, and, uh, you know, I guess I had my perception. And um, when I did interview Deeds, I had not uh, done my research. I Honestly, I was just going off of what I thought. And um, I had seen some guys get released, but I also saw how many times you've won. I just read your intro. And uh, when I yeah. start asking can around... I, can, I give you a good, can I give you a good date story just quickly? Well, hold on. I got to so, just explain. Hold on. Hold I got to explain this is that when I, when I asked around uh, to a few people, like, do you got any questions I should ask David Sims? And I thought there would be something, something somebody could give me. And this were the responses was... People will be shocked to know that I'm really good friends with him and Paul Thompson. He's a gem, one of the best guys in hockey. He would be the first to raise 5000 for any charity, but also the first guy to call Nottingham Panthers a bunch of bastards. Bleeds orange, but inside there is a good heart. Then the other guy writes, I heard, I spoke to him last week. He's a good man. I like him. We had a Twitter battle to jazz up all the fans. It was all in good humor. We are both entertainers. He's a smart man. He knows what is, he is doing and knows how to brand himself. He will be a great interview. So I got nothing on you. Got nothing on me. Nothing. <laughs> you haven't got to look too hard to find something, I can tell you. But <laughs> I, I, think, I think the latter one would have been Deeds. Yep. And um, I was the TV presenter for Sky Sports at the time. And Deeds came in, and, and I thought Deeds was really honest in your interview, that you know, his timing Cardiff was a mistake and not because Cardiff isn't a great place to play because we all know it's a great city, but he wasn't mentally in the right frame of mind for it. And when he came in, he was, he was a clown. He was a, he was a sideshow. And every week we would see him do something stupid on the TV and we'd be in the studio and we'd look at each other and, well, you know, did you meet? He's not doing this, that and the other and what's going on. And then the one night uh, there was a highlight and he like, hit some kid from behind and then he went and elbowed some other kid not not the tough guy the kids he was banging and we came back into camera and i remember going to the camera guy come in here now Devin did you meet you you you're acting like a child why don't you fight the men why are you hitting the boys what's the matter with you don't and i called him out just called him out blatantly not thinking that four days later, Cardiff's next game in the big blue tent was against my team, the Sheffield Steelers. And he ran our tough guys. He beat the piss out of our tough guys. He scored a couple of goals. He scored an assist. He rode his stick past me, giving me whatever for. And, oh, God, fuck. He just... And then I can remember our guys coming off the bench going, seems he just shut it up next week. Just shut it up. Look what you've done. And he Most was outstanding. And I tell you, if he'd have played like that the whole time, he'd still be here and now making 1500 a week because he had everything. He was a personality, a good-looking guy. He skated well. He was tough. Um, and uh, we still speak. And then he, he came. Jared Adams, it was, who brought him to Sheffield for those five games when Mosienko was suspended. And um, now, nah, top top bloke, and we've stayed, we've stayed in touch ever since, wherever he's been. Uh, if we need a player reference, he knows everybody. So he's somebody that you you can call upon, and he's got a good hockey mind. He's a good man. 
Yeah, no, I didn't know him until we did the podcast and yeah. uh, we've actually stayed in touch since. And it's like, I, I gained a new buddy. Um, so that's what I love most about this is yeah. uh, catching up with my old friends and I've even made some new ones, but uh, that does bring up another question then for me is how, how much are you involved in picking players then? Because when we did, we did, discuss a little bit me coming there that summer but then you did sign uh <clears throat> the guy you just mentioned that um was in the danish league and uh cory who was just on and uh we were all in a race there was four of us in a race for the scoring title and then the two guys we were battling against both got suspended for the rest of the season for betting against their own team but then you guys go ahead and sign him eh yeah no no we did the answer to your question is right now 2021 i have zero input um i'll speak to the coach aaron fox and he'll tell me who he's looking at and like everybody else i hit elite prospects and <clears throat> know somebody who knows somebody who might know him um but over the the 30 years of the steelers i was solely responsible for a few of those years partly responsible for a few more and uh, and now we've got somebody a lot more competent than i in, in aaron fox and uh, he he does it and well, we all have contacts. You know what it's like. You all have contacts. You know somebody who might coach or play for a team, and um, you all get involved. But no, in Sheffield, the coach pretty much has always had the last say um, in who comes in and who goes out. I can't think of any owner or any manager that's forced a player on a coach. Um, obviously, there are some more popular than others, and uh, you, you, you try and put a bit of gentle pressure on the coach, um, especially as our owner sells shirts, he make, he manufactures the shirts. So uh, if there's a player that's selling a lot of shirts, but but never still would he ever say to a coach, "You can't sign, can't sign this guy. You must sign that guy." Um, it, it doesn't doesn't happen. Well, and that's I, that's the way it should be because if you, if, if you if you want to hold the coach accountable, it's got to be his team, right? Total. But the answer to your second part of the question was it was Jared Adams. Uh, I remember being on holiday and G phoned me and said, you know, there's this Tyler Masienko, I think he'd be a great player, but he's got this little cloud. And then he told us what that little cloud was, <laughs> which was quite a big cloud. But in all fairness, when Mosey came over, I mean, he played hard for us for a couple of years and then he just shut it off the last year and, um, and cleared off halfway through his contract. Uh, but for two years, we, we got a league title out of him and, Got a couple of league titles out of him actually, and he played really hard, and he was no no issues whatsoever. But the was the interesting thing was, the guy who um, broke that story was the uh, goalie Irving's Mustikov. backup goalie. Oh, it was the starting. No, goalie. no, Mustikov, Mustikov was the starter. He then became the back. He, he then got injured. The backup went in. Understood he, yes, what was going right. on, that's and then right. Moose Mustikov's then came back. And they tried to do the same thing with Moose, and Moose was having none of it, went to the club, and it, and it all broke up. And after we signed Masienko, we ended up signing Mustikov. So the two of them came back together the year after. So. But they were fine. There was no issues. No issues. Well, yeah, no, I, it was curious for me because, like, I remember I, it was July, and I didn't really have anything, and that's when I sent out my email to all the teams in, in the U.K., and then I started getting offers and I, I tell you, it was way more fun doing it on my own than waiting for an agent to tell me what was going on. It was way better. Yeah, I can um, believe that. If you but, can have an insight into a club, you have a much better chance. If you can, if you can get to speak to the people. 
Well, I like doing a podcast. I've learned so much about every team and how people do their business. And I'm just asking questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everything has, every team, I won't say has pet agents, but when I started, Gary Sago at Optima World Sports was a guy. I, well, actually when I was Steve Bartlett, who's a big NHL agent now, he sent a couple of players um, uh, to me, Kevin Bollerbrook, Mike Blaisdell, um, and I still stay in touch with Steve. But then back in like the late 90s, Gary Sago and Optima World Sport kind of took over and they ran Britain pretty much single-handedly for five or six years. And then Gary got into Germany where there was bigger money. The league in Britain kind of declined a tad. Um, and then other agents start popping up everywhere. Now everybody's an agent. Yeah, well, it's yeah. I, I didn't really have, I had a few through my times and I tell you, I never really locked into one that I really felt was making a lot of calls and working for me because I had my one I usually had in Europe, like he had a lot bigger names than me in Europe because, yeah, he thought I was going to the DL. He thought I was going to these bigger leagues and then hurt my knee and it never really happened. So then I could tell I was kind of at the bottom of his his phone call list. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they go through the lists. Yeah, Yeah. there's good ones and bad ones. There's guys that you learn over the years that you think to yourself, God, if I was a player, I wouldn't touch you with a barge pole. And then there's some other guys that really adore their players and like really go, oh, we've got a guy at the moment, Michael, I think you pronounce it Latzenberger. And he acts for, uh, you know, like Marco Valeran who plays for us. And like, he cares, really cares. And when he comes over, he, he found Jonathan Phillips, the Luca jobs in the, in the lockdown. And, he seems to be a guy who really like puts his arm around his players and, and you think to yourself, well, if I was a player, I'd, I'd actually want to go and work with him because he, he genuinely sees it as a, as a, as a he way. Cares. Yeah, he cares. And you know what? As a player, if you care, you're going to get a lot of ticks from coaches and teammates. As somebody in management, if they can see that you really care, you're going to get ticks and you're going to get, and the same as an agent, if you care about what you're doing, it, it makes life 10 times easier. Oh yeah, no, definitely. It's just, it's really realistically. It's like, I have people tell me I'm working hard at this. Not for a second. Do I feel like I'm working doing this? This is what I want to do. Talk hockey with people around the world and get to know them and hear their cool hockey stories. Like, I guess this is not work at all. You know, <laughs> when you like it. Exactly. I, exactly. Like I've got a full-time job, um, estate agent, or as you guys over there call it real estate agent. Um, and I work hard at that. But then hockey, I, I consider that to be the fun part. And I probably work 10 times harder at the hockey than I do in the real job. But it doesn't feel like work. So it's, uh, which I guess is good. If you, can, if you can enjoy it as well, then all the better. Well, that, I guess, got us into where and what are we doing now? Um, so, yeah, I guess you're a real estate agent. Is that residential, commercial? What are you into? No, residential and not big high-flying stuff, you know, not acreages with swimming pools, terraced housing, semi-detached housing, just regular, you know, regular just inner city Birmingham uh, housing. Birmingham, that's that's where you are now for that's where and what are you doing now? So you're in Birmingham? Okay, yeah, so Birmingham Birmingham's about an hour and a half south of Sheffield, so that's my trip to Sheffield, hour and a half. It's the second biggest city in uh, England, don't ask me to ask you. I know you North Americans love the populations and you know the populations of every town and, and city over there. Over here, we haven't got a clue and couldn't care less. Um, <laughs> but it's the second biggest after London. Um, 
And it's a, it's a great city. I'm born and bred here and uh, started the hockey in Birmingham, in Solihull. Um, and then, uh, then obviously got the chance to go up to Sheffield, which is now my local team 90 miles away. So that is the question was, where is Solihull? That's in Birmingham? So, yeah, I think most Brummies would tell you it's in Birmingham. Most people from Solihull say it's just outside Birmingham. It's like a little, it's like a little suburb just outside uh, Birmingham. Uh, it's kind of the posh bit of Birmingham. Okay. Yeah, I've never been there. Um, but uh, the other question, which was random one here for you, is um, did you bet Dave Cousineau 100 quid or dare him 100 quid to take warm-ups with the Steeler Dan head on? Me personally, no, but th that was the bet that, uh, that Dave did. There's a knife in the past. Um, when you were in Cardiff, I, I'm not being rude here, I just can't remember. Did you make the final, you, you were at the final four? My first year um, after we won okay. the Challenge Cup, we lost to Belfast in the first round. So we didn't, even, we didn't go to Nottingham. And then the year I was hurt and was just a pregame speaker, um, they lost the semifinals six nothing and they played the third place game the next day and That's they were what I was yeah so cardiff That's net was, was told not to drink that night because they blew it six nothing in the semis and then they showed up like sober the next day and the was other paul team embraced it for what it was and my goodness exactly. was paul reagan your owner or was no no it was, was the it? first year todd took over oh first year todd so you were okay um yeah, Kuzino, that third, fourth place game, which is a complete cluster. Um, <laughs> it was Sheffield v Cardiff in the third, fourth place game. And they actually warmed up together. They were doing the figure of eights together. <laughs> um, and <laughs> Dave went out with still a dance head on, yeah? And uh, that's just... <laughs> well, that, that game... And hey, I sit on the league board. And every year we try and think of something that can replace that game. And nothing has come along any better. Because still, 5,000 people watch it. We put, I, England, th we put England, Scotland on, 600 people turn up. You put, because they all know, they also, all the fans have a bet. And they'll go for like over seven goals in the first period. Yeah. And when the eighth goal goes in, you hear the whole place go, because everybody's, you know, put 50 quid on, uh, on, on an over seven goals, because the goal is as pissed as a fart. So he's... Um, <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't believe you know. what I was watching. I, I By the way, this is a... Thresher Belgian wit beer by the Bayfield Brewing Company. But anyways, I watched that game and Cardiff had not gone out. Everybody was angry because they had blown it. And um, the other team, I just heard some of the stories that they're like, yeah, they weren't feeling their legs very good. And I don't think the score was too close. But um, I was out with the fans that night because obviously I wasn't a hockey player anymore. And I heard the bets. I heard what they, the laughter and it, it does mean something to the fans. And you know what? If you're in the third place game, maybe you deserve to have to get up and play it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it's, uh, but I can imagine what Todd would have been like because Killers, firstly, Killers is a good friend of mine. And uh, he's a, he, that Cardiff Devils franchise, he's the biggest part of it. Um, and yes, they've got great ownership and they've had great coaches and great players. But no Todd Kelman in Cardiff. Cardiff win. Sweet Fanny Adam. Uh, he's the reason. Um, I, I, I know, know that, yeah. Have, yeah, and he will have wanted to know that his team were ready. It would have been a thing for him. And then, uh, yeah, who did you play? Was it like somebody like Fife? Yep. 
I mean, I've yeah, and five would have like they would they would have gone straight from the bar to the ring. Well, because they were happy that they had made it that far. They made the final four, right? Fife's happy to be there, and um, yeah. you know they try to make the finals. If they don't, they're all still happy. But Cardiff was setting that culture that like this is unacceptable, right? Um, other stories. Who was your coach then? Was Lord was Lord your coach then? Yeah, obviously the first line right winger too. I had to play on the third line because of him. Lordo would have been so anal in that third, fourth place game as well. <laughs> oh, there's there's still a lot of details, but I, I, I was I was with the fans. That was my last weekend of pretending I was just an injured player that was there to <clears throat> do a pregame speech. But then they blew it six nothing, and that was it. That but was uh, the other thing was Daryl Andrews mentioned that they might have thrown their th- third place medals over the glass to the fans or gave well, them sure. out to the fans. Yeah. I'm sure that was I, I haven't listened to that one yet actually because but Daryl Andrews played for us you know quite a long time ago with and then went to have a yeah and then went to have a great career in uh, in Denmark I mean like he was like a mountain he was like built like Tarzan oh and yeah. if you were being totally honest in Sheffield he played a little like Jane but he was you know without doubt a great player. Played well for us, but for a guy of his size and stature, he just wanted him to throw guys out of the way. And yeah. Well, I was like, yeah, when, when I would, when I practice against him, he'd just come in the corner and almost like he's just so big, he could like bear hug you, and you just could go nowhere. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. He wouldn't even have to be mean to you. He'd just swallow you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So next question then is how did you get into hockey with the Sully Hull Barons? How did you, how, if you never played hockey, what sports did you play growing up and how do you, did you get into it? Okay. Well, firstly, the sports, if you play football, you play football, cricket, rugby over here. I was actually a swimmer. I was quite a good swimmer and swam at a high level and county and country and different stuff like that. But um, the lady over my left shoulder hiding in the back there, when we were about 17, 18, um, we went to go public skating on uh, one Sunday and um, we get to the rink at Sully Hall and it's closed because there's, there's a hockey game on. We knew nothing about hockey, nothing about anything, but we were there. So we went, well, shall we go in? And yeah, we'll go in. So we paid our money and pretty much instantly fell in love with it. Great atmosphere in Sully Hall, couple of thousand people. They were in the second division at the time. The barn was ecstatic. It was going through the roof, Chuck Taylor, Dean Vogel, Sam Mark Butts, guys like that. Um, and, you know, I from that You're moment, hooked. I was I was hooked. I was just hooked on it. Um, and we were we were sponsored, the league was sponsored. And then I got onto like a supporters club committee and then the club was going bankrupt. So the supporters took over the running of the club. So I'm 21 and I'm the commercial manager trying to find a pound here and a pound there, trying to make things happen. And that's what I do in my life. I, I make deals, I... I I facilitate and we were sponsored by Heineken and the advertising agency that ran Heineken were called the white company. And there was a guy there called David Gardner Brown and Heineken as part of their general promotion. Um, were running the world were sponsoring the world student games up in Sheffield and Sheffield had just built Ponsford swimming pool, an Olympic swimming pad, Don Valley Stadium had been updated, the running track, and they built this arena, the Sheffield Arena. And whilst he was doing his work for Heineken um, at the World Student Games, he came up with this great idea, wouldn't it be brilliant, to have an, a, a, an ice hockey club 
in an arena rather than just ice rinks, which is where it was in Durham, Streatham and all these places. Um, and he knew me and he says, how would you like to come to Sheffield and run the Sheffield, uh, the, this team in Sheffield, a new team in the third division? And I thought about it, but in those days, nobody worked full time in hockey. So I said, listen, I'll come up and help you for six weeks. We'll find some people who do want to work full time. But then, you know what, I'm going to call it quits and go back to Solihull because that's where I work and that's where I live. I went up and I saw that building. And when I die, my ashes are going to be laid there. I love that building. I love that arena. And it's my home. Um, and from the day I walked into it and every time I walk into it, I'm still excited. And there was no way after six weeks I was going to go back to Solihull. I stayed there. And then from that day to this, I've done every job that that club's asked me to do. So when you say ice rink instead of arena, that means it's kind of like they kind of set it up for figure skating. There's no real stands. It's just for a general fans, public, right? yeah, a public rink. I mean, Solihull had maybe 1,200, 1,400 seats or 1,400 capacity. It wasn't, I mean, it was like a big blue tent with walls. Um, it was it was that type of size, maybe not even as big as the big blue tent that you remember. Uh, and it was an incredible atmosphere in there. We had great rivals against Peterborough and Telford, and and that's where my enthusiasm came. And that's where my love of signing players came from because I kept thinking, why have all these teams got better imports than us? And we've got some crap imports, and they've got great imports. And then I realised that I needed to find an extra hundred pound a week. So then I'd go out and find the extra hundred pound a week to get to the club, to get to the player. And then we had better imports and we generally succeeded. And we brought, I mean, we had Jeff Lama, Jerry Gillis, who were NHLers. I mean, Jeff Lama, Steve Lama's brother and Jeff Lama had an NHL career. Jerry Gillis played nearly 400 games. Um, but then we had Brent of Persia. We had, um, oh, just Rick did you Ferrigy, just say, main did Brian, you just say Prince of Persia? Brent Sir Persia. Oh, <laughs> there, there is an interview, Brent. If you if you want an interview, there is an interview. Yeah. Google research, do it. The um, number one goal scorer in the I he was the number when the IHL was the same level as the American League. Yeah. He was the top goal scorer in the IHL, and we signed him for three hundred and twenty-five pound a week. Because a bit like your good self, as I can see, you're drinking a couple of pops here. Brent, Brent loved the alcohol, loved the party life, loved the good time, and um, he was just an incredible character. He'd be, and then he went to coach. I mean, he sets IHL penalty minute records, he IHL goal scoring records. Um, so he's a character if he's getting penalty minutes and oh. scoring. Man, he's, a, he's, he's the biggest character I've ever met in life, let alone hockey. It's all right. And he'll get, I'll, get, I'll text you his number when this is over, man. That's a story you need to do. Um, especially when you Google it and do a bit of research because he's got a, <laughs> lot, he's got a story to tell. Um, and then that's how I got. And then I started speaking to Steve Bartlett and I, got, I, I got started speaking to other agents and got him more involved in that. And then when Sheffield started, I was able to bring in Ron Shuja, bring in Steve Nemeth, bring in Mark Mackey, bring in guys like that and, and negotiate. And for the first 10 or 15 years, you know, be ahead of recruitment, if you like. Well, um, here's your fun fact of the day is I was also a well, swimmer. I was an Elmira aqueduct. And it wasn't yeah. until puberty um, with hair growth and, uh, you know, you start thinking girls are attractive. Sometimes you don't want to get out of the pool at the end of the race, right? You know, That's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to get out at 13. That was the age. No more no, Speedos at 13. 
I went to 15, 16. Yeah. It wasn't good. You yeah, were more manly good. than me then. I couldn't get that far. I only made it to 13, but it was good, fun, competitive when you're trying to win a race in swimming. It is yeah, absolutely. Fun. Okay. So then how you left to go to Sheffield. Basically, you mentioned you first time you go into that rink. For me personally, because I grew up in a little rink, I like the old rinks with character that it may be in the UK, sure. they didn't have enough seating, but I would rather people fix the old rinks than build brand new ones. Would you like five? Yeah, I do. I love five. And it's a different atmosphere. And Solihull was like a five. Um, you missed, you, you're, you're too young for the, uh, the Durham days. But, but like five, I think he's a fabulous. Fantastic, fantastic. Love it's like it. old time and, hockey. You know, and they're not ashamed of their Scottishness in five. I mean, they are fully fledged 100% jocks that give you, if you just... If you just zoomed into that rink and wondered where you were, it takes you three seconds to realise you're in the middle of Scotland. And I love it, the flower of Scotland. And, you know, like I'm a proud Englishman. And But when you go to Fife, it was terrific. You go to Edinburgh and you wouldn't know. You could be in Copenhagen. You could be in England. You could be in Dublin. But you happen to be in Edinburgh, Scotland. There was no Scottishness in Edinburgh. But in Fife, it was just... Oh, yeah, yeah, marvelous. So I, I agree with you. And I came from like the small rink, but then I had this chance to be a part of a big club in a big arena and, you know, dancing girls and loud music. We were the team that brought the loud music and the pom-com girls. And we brought nicknames, Rocket Run, Storming Steve, the Messiah, Ken Priestley and all that stuff. And we filled an arena when they said it couldn't be done. And I think that's another thing. When people go, it'll never work there. No, it will never work there. And Nottingham, our, our, well, they say they're the big rivals, but I think for a rivalry, they have to win occasionally and it's all Sheffield. So I don't know if it's a real rivalry, but Nottingham. So is be, the new rivalry with Cardiff then? A hundred percent. I think with the fans and with me, I have a hatred for Nottingham that is, is possessive and he's probably bad for me, um, but it's a genuine, genuine hatred. Where with Cardiff, <laughs> There's just for me a dislike. Um, but there's respect. <laughs> total respect. You have to respect Cardiff because of what they've done on and off the ice. Total respect. And we were the club. We were the number one team. They came in and they take. They took that mantle. And now our job is to go and get it back off them, which we were just in the process of trying to do, you know, in, in the cup. But no, Cardiff is the number one club. And that pains you to say that. But, but they are, and you've now got to work hard and do whatever we can in all our different roles within the club to collectively come together and be better than them. And, and even though loads of players and loads of people moaned about that Andrew Lord, and he obviously did something. I, I mean, I thought it was a pain in the ass, but I've got to be honest, he obviously did something right there because they won. And whilst they moaned and groaned and bitched and whined about him, and many of them did, for some reason, reason they played hard for him and, and and they won and now you've got a new guy going in they've lost joey martin they've lost a lot of their core guys it's a bit it's not a full rebuild but it's going to be a bit of a rebuild there it's pretty him. close yeah yeah it's going to be interesting and bounds as well you know losing the you know that having the british goal he gave them that extra import out and they took full advantage of all their advantages um but They've still got Todd Kelman there. And while Todd's there, they're going to have a chance. No, I, I, right. I agree. And, uh, you know, when you say they, you, you know, you guys were the top team, you know, for me, it's kind of, 
mixed feelings to hear that because I was part of the two seasons that we came really close to taking the mantle. And then I know Lordo would say like Tyson Marsh and myself helped build a culture, but we also weren't actually there <laughs> to win it. So I'm not Marsh sure. There, wasn't it? Marsh, wasn't Marsh there when they won it? No, he it he was Marsh. done the same no, year as me as well. After his concussion, um, yeah. and then he was he was planning on being done the same as me. We did our MBAs, and then we both wanted to play one more year. And uh, but anyways. Um, yeah, it's just mixed emotions. Cause like, I'm happy Cardiff is the best and I, it's been fun for me to watch and it helps me start a podcast. Cause now my friends have won a bunch of stuff, but speaking of that, um, you talk about bouncy leaving, he's from Sheffield and then your captain's from Cardiff, yeah. right? That's right. Jonathan Phillips. We yeah. He's well, been there he? forever. And I wanted to say one thing about him cause he seems like a fantastic captain. He seems like the, the reason you guys win a lot. And I saw what he did for Matthew Myers. I was uh, watching GB play and I saw him give up the captaincy for my buddy. And that was, uh, that was really cool of him. The classiest bloke you could ever wish to meet. Yeah. And I mean, he's 37 now or something. And he's still the strongest. He wins the fitness tests every year. And every year you think, oh, maybe one more year, John. And he looks at you and he goes, no, I've got a lot more than that. And he, got, he just gets better and better. He's a massive part of our DNA. We'd be lost without him. But as good of a player as he is, he's a better person. And yeah, you, nobody in our city says a bad word about him. Well, there is no bad word to say about him. Just a total class guy. Yeah. So then he's from Cardiff and Ben Bounds goes from Sheffield and ends up in Cardiff. And then he wins a whole yeah. bunch there. So it, it, for me, I always found it interesting because I'm playing in Cardiff and I see Ben Davies is from Cardiff. I see the kid play and I'm like, well, why wouldn't this kid be on your team if he's from Cardiff? And then I find out Bouncy's from Sheffield. I find out Jono's from Cardiff. And I'm like, man, you guys should just stay home. <laughs> well, Bouncy was one that got away. Um, he was it the, the tramp stamp? Was it the tramp stamp? Did you let him go because of the tramp stamp? <laughs> Do you know about the tramp stamp? Have I you don't seen know it? about the tramp stamp, no. Oh, dear. Okay. Go on, tell me. Well, he's got a tramp stamp, but everybody in Slovakia will find out about it this year. I think it's a <laughs> butterfly. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, he played He played them, and then there was a team in Hull. And Stingrays. Um, yeah. they took a – yeah, the Sylvan Cloutier, I think, was the coach there. And uh, they took a bit of a gamble on him. Um and he played there a couple of years and did terrifically well. And then Killer took a bit of a gamble on him to go from just an elite league team to a contender. Well, um, from what I understand is that contract was signed with the previous owner, but um, Todd, when Todd came in, they did honor it and say, yeah, we'll give you the chance because you've signed it. Yeah, and and in all fairness to Banzi, like Ban, we have a bit of a a tete-a-tete -tete from now and again because he went and did an interview once saying he hated Sheffield and of course that was music to our ears so did I that though was something, yeah yeah but he comes from Sheffield so uh, we, had, we had something to when when Cardiff used to drive in we used to have the big electronic scoreboard um road signs over the motorway and our advert that week when Cardiff was coming is Bounds hate Sheffield seeing this at the 7 p.m phase um but yeah I mean He's done unbelievably well, and everybody's proud of him. Without him, I don't think we make Paul A. Uh, without him, we don't stay in Paul A. And good luck to him. Let's hope he makes a shed load of cash in, in, in check and uh, and does well. Yeah, no, but, I, uh, I, 
it's been great to watch his career from afar for me because I was there his first season really as like a, on a contender trying to be the starting goalie and and to see him sure. progress and now I see him on TSN and it's 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 great to watch um but other question I have because he's never came up on the podcast before is I saw his jerseys retired by Sheffield the impact Tony Hand would have on GB and why the team would be good now would that be because of how good he was decades ago and why there's the Mark Richardsons and all that no 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 not at all I mean Tony Hand was all, Tony was a freak of nature I mean um, <clears throat> his family owned the rink in Murrayfield in Edinburgh uh, therefore he was he was there his brothers played um, his one brother Paul terrific bloke used to work on the oil rigs. I don't know if he still does, um, but terrific bloke. And then his other brother, David, he runs the Scottish Association. And Tony was just a freak of nature. I mean, there was no reason why he was as good as he was. He was just that good at that time in that league, playing at, at, that, at that, that way. Uh, and he was head and shoulders above anybody else. He was a genius. He was our great one. He played, he, he could see a pass that other people couldn't see. And I, I know we worked really hard to bring him to Sheffield and play in Sheffield. And then he went to air and then he, he had a great career as a player and as a coach. Um, probably didn't fulfill his potential, fulfill his names um, as, a, as a coach. He, he, he was in Manchester when they were in the second league. Um, he, he had a dabble at the GB a little bit and it just didn't kind of work out. And now he's involved in, in the development in, in some way. But now this new breed, that new generation, the, the, the Robert Dowds, the Mark Richardsons, the, the Ben O'Connors, the Matthew Myers, those guys. And now, of course, we've got young Liam Kirk as well. Um, and, and that generation, with all due respect, they wouldn't know Tony Hunt, David Longstaff, Stephen Cooper, Ian Cooper. They, th those names wouldn't mean diddly squat to them because there was such a long gap between the uh, the two the two groups. Eras, yeah. and, uh, and the kids coming and the kids coming through today certainly wouldn't. Know. Hmm. Yeah. So, well, that's a guy I'd like to bring up. Then I'm curious why Ben O'Connor doesn't play for your team because when I played against him, he was a fantastic defenseman, but he also ran your half wall on the power play. And now I see mm -hmm. plays in like the second league or something. Well, in all fairness, he was only playing in the second league because they okay. were the only people playing. Gotcha. Ben O'Connor was a great hockey player. Ben O'Connor still is a great hockey player. Um, I've known Ben since he was six. He's a top lad. Um, and I, not only I, everybody at the club will, will miss him next year. At the end of our last full season, you know, contract talks broke down with him. Um, he declined the offer that was made to him. And he's decided to walk away that's okay um we put a deadline on on the deal our, our coach you know gave a date that was it and and unfortunately now ben will will transpire and plays hockey in cardiff belfast nottingham manchester somewhere else next year um things move on um he's a good mate of mine his dad's a real good mate of mine his dad played on that same gb team as tony handed mike o'connor big defenseman so, uh, you know, Ben will go and play his trade elsewhere. And um, you know what? You know what it's like when you're negotiating. You want, the, you want the most pound that you can get and the club can only perhaps give you so much other pound. And you have to make sacrifices elsewhere. You've got to make a budget work. It's great for a fan on a forum or on Instagram to say we should sign this player, that player and that player. But you've got so many houses, you've got so many cars, you've got so much money to spend and it doesn't fit sometimes. 
and um, it obviously didn't fit for us. And we wish Ben nothing but the best, but his days as a Steeler are over. No, I did. And, and those things happen. And like contract yeah. negotiations, especially when, like, I, I don't know what all goes down, but like, like I heard in Cardiff, you know, guys heard what someone was making and it didn't make sense compared to what the other guys were making and it caused a kerfuffle. Um, but that stuff happens. So my next question then is everything, I heard, everything, I heard everything. from Deuce. To you. Go on, Deuce. Let me just give you this one. Okay, go. Every team, every team has a player or two players that perhaps see it, it overpays. And then clubs here and teams here that, you know, this guy was on X, this guy's on Y. Maybe they're on X and Y for a reason. Maybe they, they sell more shirts. Maybe they're growing in the community. Maybe a club doesn't want to lose them. And, and then also, you take with a pinch of salt what a player Oh, Nottingham will say to us, oh, you're playing Fred Smith a thousand pounds when you're paying him 750. Um, and oh, we tried to get him and we offered him this, but he signed for you, so he must be on more. You get that every club. We'll we'll think the same. We 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 win the battle for some players, we lose the battles for others. And um, you all like to think it's because the other club offered more money. Maybe they just offered a better deal per se, maybe involves schooling like in your case, or maybe involved his best mate plays there and the two wives are happy. You know, if there's been one big difference between, say, my Solihull days and early Sheffield days to today, it's wives. Everybody's married. And um, where back in the early days, that wasn't the case. And the British League, like the Danish League, my best mate, Paul Thompson, he's gone to the Danish League. That's a young league. They've signed eight imports. They're all under 26. Um, I don't think we'll sign one under 26. The British League is a league like yourself, you know, with the schools program coming to the end. And of course, if you're 31, 32, 33, you're more likely to have a wife. And even more so now, a frigging dog. Every player brings a dog. And you think, oh, what's a, that's not a big deal. But then the getting the, I mean, the transport for the dogs over. The transport. I'll jump in oh. on that one. I had a dog and I took him to Germany every year. By the way, this is a woolen shop. Uh, uh, is I brought my dog every year until I went to Cardiff. And when I first put it in the deal and then we looked into it and the size of the dog and the price, they said, well, you, you can bring them, but you'll pay for it. And then when we looked into it, yeah. like it just was not feasible. Um, so he, uh, he ended up having to stay home, but he had been with me for a decade over there. And yeah. you know what? It, 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 the apartments, people in Germany like dogs more than the UK. Uh, in Germany, dogs go everywhere. The UK, like, there's a lot of apartments that aren't going to want a dog in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we have, I think we have three, we might have 14, 15 apartments. Um, we might have three that can take a dog. So your first line centre can have a dog, but your fifth defenseman can't have one. Yeah, good luck trying to get a dog in the deal as a fifth line D man. I agree. And then those are the different exactly. deals you got to make, right? You got to you got to try and make Absolutely. guys happy so they'll play good, and you got to try and get them there with your offer. But no, like I totally you're get like, it. You're like you got so many beds, you got so many apartments in your budget, so you can have so many married guys, so many single guys, and like you say, if your fifth defenseman's got a wife, two kids, and a golden retriever, he ain't coming. No, definitely not. And that's where I but got if he's to. Joey, but if he's Joey Martin, no, maybe we can make that happen. 
Yeah. But we can only make it happen for so many players. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of that's actually exactly what happened to me was I had a great year in Denmark, a second league scoring, <laughs> and then there was nothing happening. And it wasn't until I reached out to the UK league and I was like, yeah, I guess this is it. Like, I, I'm there. It's time. Mm-hmm. And um, it's time to get school and focus on the next steps afterwards. And um, yeah, it's because I had a wife and two kids. Time. But like I had people yeah. to fly over and that's visas. That's the flights. That's bigger apartments, yeah. bigger cars. The whole thing. Yeah. And I don't think fans kind of appreciate that in Europe, per se, players earn more money than they would in England or in, in, the, in the UK. And not just in Finland or in Sweden, in the top league in Germany, but, but around you, you can generally earn a little bit more money. Um, so therefore, you have to give the players over here something that they can't get. So schooling's become a big thing. Coventry started it. Belfast have really taken it on board. And every other club now does some kind of, of schooling. Um, and <clears throat> that's why perhaps we have an older league, generally, because guys are looking at the end of their career thinking, well, OK, if we go over to England, we might have to take a knock on the salary, but we can end up getting an MBA and we can come out with something that we can take into life um, after hockey. That's exactly, exactly what I did. Yeah. I, I went there yeah. for the school and I, I knew I was taking less money for one year um, and then I'd be done it and then I could renegotiate and I did end up staying and making a little more the second year because, you know, you take a hit to do the school. But if any players are out there listening, you should do it. Get off your ass and do it. Okay. Um, but then, then from, a club, from a club point of view, we've got to make sure that the people that we employ are coming for the right reason because there are guys who come for the school and that's all they care about you're right no you're right yeah we see we care about the hockey and there's the school they call about the school and a bit of the hockey so then sometimes they have to be brought into the office and said hey if you want to finish this if you want to finish the uh the schooling make sure you the hockey has to be priority no and that's all we care about and that is why you're there right is to perform and like I, I thought uh, that was, yeah, it, I thought it was great for me to build myself and my character for the real world and what real world is actually like doing school and hockey. Um, but I agree with you. You got to, you got to perform and it can't just there, but you're right. There, there's a hundred percent people go over there and just want school. Right. Yeah. And it's tough because with all due respect, the majority of hockey players haven't really done schoolwork for maybe 10, 12, 14 years, some of them. And then all of a sudden, they're thrown back into an MBA program at a university. And they're thinking, crikey, it was 17, 18 the last time I was in the classroom, and now I'm 34. Um, and it's hard. And I'll tell you, the big one, never sign a goalie on an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a great... That, that was always said to me. We had, a, we had a guy, brilliant guy, called Frank Doyle. Yeah, um, I know. And he played two years. Great guy. Honestly, the first three months, he couldn't catch a beach ball because he was like so tired. He was so wound up. He was at his school. Then once he got into the routine, Frank became great. And then for 18 months, was the best goalie in the league, won us a championship. Yeah, but yeah, getting used to the school. I remember the first few months, I was overwhelmed because I... The the way they write in school over there is different um, than we write over here. And there was some adjusting to do. Joined up writing over here, is it? 
Oh, it's like, it's, I guess it's proper writing, eh? Is that what they call it? Um, so with that, one question, though, is with the schools packages and uh, say the Champions League, I guess Cardiff's the only one in it, but or whoever's in it, but um, you guys have a salary cap. How does that work? Um, Are you guys protecting well, we, yeah. yourselves from yourselves? Is you Do you guys realize you started paying guys too much, so now you're clamping it down on us or what? I think I think there is going to be this forthcoming season maybe some guidance because obviously we don't know what kind of league we're going to come back to with the pandemic. Um, and I, I think there's some concerns from some clubs that other clubs would run away spend. So there's going to be a few restrictions um, put on clubs this year, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, no real full details of how the salary cap works. No, no, because, I mean... I mean, the elite league has worked really well of trust of the 10 owners or the nine owners because Neil Black has two teams. But there's a lot of trust around that boardroom. We all need each other as much as each other. So, you know what? Well, yeah, we're a bigger club than Dundee and Manchester, but we're no good without them because we'd have nobody to play. We can't play Nottingham every week. We'd like to sometimes, but we can't. <laughs> uh, that it makes so, sense. You know, well, you've got to find... And there's such a, there's such a gap in... Um, you know what, you go, let's, let's say Manchester and let's take, say, Dundee and the, some of the smaller clubs, they have certain advantages over us in terms of, say, how much they pay for their rink and, and vice versa. And we have to pay a huge amount. But then we have, obviously, an, an income benefit over them because we can generate some more money. And sometimes it works out even and sometimes it doesn't work out even. But there's always going to be a top team and there's always going to be a bottom team. There's always going to be a Man United and there's always going to be a Norwich. So that's the way it goes. Okay. Well, you probably Good know much. this question for me then now that we're talking about Manchester United and winning the league and being first and last in the table is whoever came up with the UK league playing hockey that way. Why is it not a best of seven? Because those two years we lost by two points. I would have loved to crack at your best of seven. Listen, you play the blame. The, the simple reality is that the arena clubs, maybe Sheffield probably could do it now, <laughs> can't play best of seven. Too many because games? They are, no, they are facilities that are driven by outside events first, hockey second. So we wouldn't have, if you two were coming, if Take That were coming, if Carly Minogue was coming, if who was coming, th those dates you'd have to plan in advance and you'd have to reserve them. So therefore, for an arena team to do a best of series, it would be unlike, and also playing every other day, I don't know whether you'd, you'd cover rent too many times. So that, that's number one. Uh, number two is that we're a football country, so therefore the league is everything, so it's always been the league. But number three, and here's the really important one, what pays for our league? Well, what pays for our league is that final four weekend in Nottingham. They pay, that weekend pays the bills for the year. Um, and that's probably the biggest reason why we don't play a best of. The second is the availability of ice. You know, if you were going to Belfast, to and from Belfast every other day, it would just be vastly expensive. Um, and Belfast then probably have some other, other uh, events going on. So I, you're, you're a hockey man from a hockey country, a pure hockey red bloke, and you're thinking, Everything's got to be best of because, and and now we're indoctrinated. Us hockey people here would love a crack at that best of series. 
But unfortunately, the logistics of the British League, it just can't work out like that. Yeah, it's... it's, it's you can't play Fife on a Tuesday because it's curling and they've curled since 1926. So therefore, you can't play on a Tuesday. Well, game five of the playoffs might be on a Tuesday. No, not moving. <laughs> yeah, not moving. No, <laughs> no that's, that, that makes sense. It really does when you break it down. Um, and I'm not complaining about the way it was or that it wasn't fair. Um, I just, uh, like... I thought, you know, like a best of seven between that team of Sheffield with Matthew Waugh and Forney and Legui yeah. against us and Cardiff. If you had a best of seven series of those two teams, like it would have been, it would have been an epic series. It would, it would. We'd have probably won it 4-0 or 4-1. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's probably because Lord was still on the first slide, right? <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah, that's it. How do you go, Lordo? You keep playing yourself. Go yeah. on, on the pathway, Lordo. Oh, are you first power play still? Jeez, I thought I was the second all-star this, that season. But it's pretty tough to do with nine minutes a night, Lordo. <laughs> exactly. But you know what, Todd? That did offer me 2.3% of the team at one point and then took it away. So I guess I am a free agent again. So that's just the truth of the matter. You know, I thought I was part owner. I was going to be going to Switzerland to see pigs. But instead, I am not an owner. So I guess... Uh, free agent again you know in the podcast I, I, I gotta tell you that cardi for many years had some slightly strange owners um i heard about them bob, yeah chris mcsawley was one bob phillips was one then bob phillips was one again um paul reagan um they they, they weren't blessed um with the greatest stability and and now they're blessed with Great stability. And we have a bit of fun with our ownership group and we tied and there's a big rivalry and we're, we're their number one, you know, challengers. Um, but you have to say, having a strong card if he's good for the league and the guys that run it there. But those owners, they don't know how lucky they are to have oh, killer I, on, this I think side, they do. on this side of the pond, on this side of the pond running it for him because they're very lucky guys. He's a top old boy. No, you're right. And he was kind of... He shaped me for my life after hockey, and yeah. he showed he showed yeah. me how to run a team. He showed me how to be a leader, but have everybody invested in it together, and try and you try and make everybody feel like family and be a part of it, right? And and yeah. when you when you mention why guys have maybe been released, or you tell them like you can't just focus on school, like this is a part of it, it all makes sense because that that was one thing Todd was able to do was you wouldn't want to let him down. Right. You wouldn't want to not give the best effort because of how they treat you. Right. hundred percent. No, hundred percent. And you, I mean, Todd's great. He can, Todd can be a good mate, but he's also the boss and he lets you know he's the boss and uh, you can have a laugh and a joke and a beer with you at the right time. And there's always a time, isn't there? There's always a time. There's a time to go to Hooters and have the chicken wings and the jugs, you know, after a win in Nottingham, you go to Hooters. And you know, that is something in Sheffield we've done for years. If we win in Nottingham, which is frequently, um, the bus goes to Hooters, that's it. And there's you have times for that. You have traditions, there's times for that, and there's times to crack the whip and get back into line. Yeah, no, we've been very lucky. We've had some good coaches over the years that have, that have that have that have led us, you know, have led us in the right way. So that was one of my questions, actually. Like, what is your exact title? Because you said at one point you were picking the players. 
do you help pick the coaches? Who's picking the coach? Whose job is it to fire him? Whose decision would that be? Okay, the owners. Um, but let me, my, my job has changed dramatically. <clears throat> yeah, I was once the team manager. Um, I'm now just part of a group of four, five, six people that help run the club. The club is run by a guy called Tony Smith, and he's the gaffer, he's the boss. And we all might like to think we run the club from time to time, but he runs the club. Um, top bloke, best owner we've ever had, best boss I've ever had. I enjoy going to work every day for him. Uh, his son, Sean's an important part. Mike O'Connor's the commercial guy. I run the PR, the media side of things. And then on match nights, I'm the hostess. You know, I'm the, you know, the, the guy with the microphone, but I'm also the guy who's standing outside plugging tickets. Um, I guess I, I like to see myself, I, so I don't have a title, but we're not great on titles on this side of the pond. Like the Americans rule the world, don't they, on titles. They have a president and an associate president for everything. But over here, we kind of just get on with the job. Um, so I'm, I'd like to consider myself the protector of the Sheffield Steelers. So if somebody wants to take a pop at my hockey club, everyone more than welcome. But they're going to have to come through me first. And I'm not afraid to speak my mind and, and come back at you. Um, and that's, that's what I'd like to do. If anybody wants to criticise my club, then fine. But um, don't think we're just going to lie back and let you tickle our stomachs because we're not. And we do have that. If you like, there's a bit of fuck you in Sheffield. And we don't mind carrying that tag of if you think we're a tad arrogant or a tad whatever. Well, we think we've earned the rights for that. We work bleeding hard. And I do say this. I do think we're the hardest working club in the league. And that's why we have more people come through our doors than any other club. That's why we've won more league titles. That's why we've won more playoffs. And, and are we a little bit more ruthless? Well, maybe we are. But we were bleeding hard for it, day and night, 24-7. We don't switch off. We won the last game. Hold on, I've got my challenge cup thing up here. What was the day for the last game? Um, oh, fuck, he's going to say it somewhere. Back in March, wasn't it? Yeah, May 8th of March. And we, we beat Cardiff in that final. And where are we today? The 5th of July. And we haven't switched off for one day in that 16 months. We've been hard selling, hard keeping an interaction with our fans, working with our sponsors, working with our arena. Now, so have other clubs, but that's how you've got to do it. So when we come back on the 18th and 19th of September, that building will be full. We'll be ready and we'll be ready to take it to Cardiff. Will we succeed in beating them? Who knows? But by fuck, we're going to give it a good blast. Uh, that's, that's well put. And I, that was what I missed about hockey was uh, standing there on the blue line with the national anthem, knowing like you're going to war with my guys against your guys and we'll see who's better, yeah. but we're going to go to war. And that's what Sheffield and Cardiff was when I was there. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, God, if you remember where the dressing room was at the arena where Cardiff's room was <clears throat> and there was two double doors, and every time I'd walk past these doors, I'd shut the doors. And then Deese had opened it, or our equipment guy had opened it. And players would chat between sides. It used to get me blood boiling. Uh, uh, and then I'd hate to see one of our players walk in with a white bag from the white company. Because what that meant was that that player had a friend on the other side whose wife had just given birth. <laughs> and they were going to exchange presents. Exchange presents after a game. Don't exchange presents before a game. That's just a... Oh. 
So I like the door shut. I want, as John Tortorella said, where's the hatred done in hockey? You know, I, the, and, and you've got to have that. You've got to have that spit and vinegar and that fuck you and that hatred for the opposition. And um, I, you know what? I can't agree more. Like literally when I would go to Sheffield and we're battling for the trophies and I had almost signed with you guys or I was talking with yeah. signing with you guys, but then I go to Cardiff and we're like a ragtag bunch out of the big blue tent. And it just yeah. fit my personality. It fit me. Um, but like every time I'd come to your rink, I'd be like, like, fuck those guys for not trying harder to sign me those two days. Right. So then, yeah. um, yeah, there was a, like, it's, it's, it was real, that rivalry. And, uh, like it was that. fun though, but like it's still. I remember the day you guys won the league in front mm -hmm. of us after mm -hmm. we had won the Challenge Cup, and like seeing teams win stuff when it's not you, it's hard. It is. It, well, you just think how bad it was for us in our building when you won that Challenge Cup. Oh yeah, you know that's in our building, a final, a cup final, and bang, you ripped the insides of us out, and. And you know what we did the same to Cardiff this year, and it happens. It's sport. It, it it's what you, you you're in it for. But uh, mm -hmm. long may it continue. But I, I think we're getting a little mentally weak, um, and we, we've got to somehow as a sport try and pull the brakes on that now. And uh, and, get, and I'm not saying we've got to go back to the NHL in the 1970s, but I think there's nothing wrong with a bit of competition and a bit of screw you and a bit of dislike for the opposition. We haven't got a, all this like. Football now, they shake hands before a game. How can you shake hands before a game? It's crazy. Well, even I thought it hard to shake hands after a game. Well, that's what the, the thing uh, is, is there's a lot of leagues that don't shake hands after games. And when you play in leagues that shake yeah. hands after games, you're like, you are setting these people up. Like, there, when these people are that competitive, do not make them shake hands afterwards. Like, they don't no. want to. The team that won is going to gloat and the team that lost is going to be pissed off. So don't shake hands. You know, like when it's the end of a best of seven or the end of the league, let's shake Fair hands. Enough. But end of the league. Yeah. But yeah. I, I was the same way. I, I didn't want to talk to guys I knew until after the game, like let's get this over with. And then I'll talk to you outside the arena for five minutes before we get on the bus. Right. Yeah. That's it. And that's all you need. You know, well, you can, can text each other later, right? Exactly. Jesus. Yeah, you don't need to do that. Ask yeah. the wife. Who can uh, there's, there's definitely too much buddy-buddy. And, like, you you see it and even in the NHL, the top league <laughs> in the world. These guys are battling for millions of dollars. And then you see them, like, not hit the guy or, or lay up on a, a forecheck. And you're like, geez, like, they're paying you $5 million a year and you got a no-trade clause and you can't go get that puck? <laughs> yeah. Did you find a difference, the guys coming into the, uh, when you were in your last couple of years, the, the young guys breaking through were different to how you were as a young guy? Mm -hmm. Because I, I, find, I find that now, and as I get older. I, do you, do you know I what I did in it, Germany? You know? That uh, Germany, mm -hmm. I, I think I really upset some teammates one time. Uh, we were out at like an Oktoberfest tent, and all the young kids had flat brim hats on with stickers on it. Like the sticker that would be on it when you buy it at the store, it was still yeah. on the hat and we're out drinking. And I'm like, I can't play on a hockey team with guys with like the big circle sticker that like, is just saying it's for sale. Like take that off. And then, yeah, I don't, yeah, I took a, a few, well, man. 
it is uh, it is and they 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 come thinking they are they deserve it and uh they you know but they get use, it we're gonna use that we're gonna use that will we're gonna use that word don't we entitlement yeah well and you gotta earn it right like yeah i really yeah, think in hockey it's i really think in hockey it's tough because you get on a team that doesn't win it makes you look like you're not a winner but if you get with winners it gets you get to the next level you get the bigger contracts because it is all about winning it's all about winning or losing the game and if if you get if you sign with teams that don't have a chance of winning that aren't gonna win you better score a lot of points if you want to keep a job in europe Mm. absolutely yeah no way you're here no way you're here yeah no totally i agree i agree i agree i agree well, what would you have done different? What would you have done different in your career? Would you have come earlier to Europe? Would you have? I, I would have never played the year in Syracuse after college. After the college career I had, I would have gone straight to Europe. Um, but I, I, that was the main thing. I would have came to Europe sooner than later. And I went after one year pro. I wish I would have gone without the East Coast on my contract. Just being up for the Hobie Baker in college and go straight then because yeah, it, yeah you, the, the higher the league you start at, you can always go down. You can't always go up, but you start in the second league yeah. in Germany. She's a tough hill to climb. <laughs> Imagine how few people do DL2 to DL, isn't it? It, it, it? Well, it's just a different role, right? Cause the DL, you can have a third line import. You can have a second line import where the DL2 yeah. is strictly we need you for a power play mainly, or we need you to score points. And that's where I fit. That's who I was. I was a yeah. scorer and that's what they needed in the second league because you get to the second league in Germany, the Germans aren't really goal scorers, right? You might have the odd one, but you need the imports to put up the goals. Yeah. yeah. So you find your honey hole and you just stay there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Until you're yeah. not asked back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it's been well, great. Know, we, I'll just be, I've just been speaking. I can't tell you who because we're going to announce him on Wednesday. But I've just been speaking with a guy who's who's played for us before, and he had to get a, in the in the lockdown missing a year. He's had to get a real job in the real world, and uh, he just said to me, "Listen, literally 20, 30 minutes before we came on, I honestly thought it was over. I honestly thought that we'd have to, you know, this that was the end of it." But I missed it that much, and I'm just going to play now until the phone doesn't ring. And and I, I've always said that. I've said that to lots of players. Going back up a hundred years, we were down in London at the Docklands Arena. They had a team in London, and we had a player called Brent Bobbick, who was a heart and soul guy. wasn't particularly super skilled. Great skater. He's a he's a skating instructor now, a power skater. And we had a goalie called Owen McInerney. He was a young lad. Now, Brent was probably 32, 33, 34, and McInerney was 24. And we were stood outside this bar in London. We'd won a game and we were having a drink. And McInerney goes, I think I might retire at the end of this year. And Bobby looked at him and he says, retire? This is a great life. It's going to take you all over the world. You're going to hang out with the guys. And when you get married, you're actually going to spend more time with your kids than you would in a regular office nine to five job. He said, I'll tell you when I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire when the phone hasn't rung by October 1st. And until then, I'm going to play and I'm going to play. And, and it is, and hockey players don't realize what a great life they have 
until they haven't got it. And maybe COVID and this lockdown period has taught a few of them, holy shit, I'm going to play for a few more years long, longer because this office game, it's not what it's made out to be. It's all the real world stinks. So stay out of it as long as you can and live in your shell of being a hockey player. Good luck to you. Travel the world, get some life experience, put some airs on your chest and uh, fabulous. You've got a I, story to tell. There's too many people in this world that don't have a story to tell. I, yeah, no, I totally agree. And when uh, I came up with the idea of this podcast, my wife says, well, like, who's going to want to keep listening to you? And I'm like, well, nobody. I'm like, this isn't going to be about me. It's going to be about all these different people that have lived such interesting lives that have moved all over the world, had children all over the world, had played hockey, won championships, failed, succeeded. And we all win our different paths and like your best friends one year, but then you go a different way and you don't even know what really happened to the guy. Like, where did he go? What did he do? And now I get to hear all of it. And I also get to live in the real world, which it is an adjustment, man. Those first couple of years of, yeah. of like, yes, it's over. Yes. I got to get used to this. This is real. Like I'm not going back to that. This is it. Like you got to be ready you to commit. You got to embrace it and you got to, figure it out and like it took me a long time and I'm there now which is great um but then this has really helped me because now I feel like I'm part of the game man in the last two weeks I've talked to the guy that runs the Devils the Panthers and the Steelers now like that's quite the couple weeks it's been a good couple of weeks well listen one of the things is like I I listen to that spitting chicklets and love it. I love Whitney and I love this and that and I love all of that chat. And then they start talking about some of these NHLers. I haven't got the first clue who they're speaking about. But then I can, but, and, and most fans will be exactly the same, but then they can come on here and they go, Tyson Marsh, I remember Tyson Marsh. Yeah, or, or like in our case in Sheffield, you had Danny Seaman on, you had, um, and then you had Didier Mitty on. And then I tell you what, everybody don't want to hear what Leggy says. Leggy's just a top boy and uh, a hero in Sheffield who uh, one day I'm sure will have his shirt retired. He's just a, just a genius and there's plenty of stories from him. And it's good then that you can kind of have it at that level. And there's far more people playing at this level than there is playing in San Jose or Tampa Bay. And <laughs> there's a million guys so many that did you can tell about. Yeah, exactly. There's so many what-if stories. Or, oh, my God, I almost made it. I'll tell you a great guy who, who tells a story. Um, there's a goalie called Wayne Cowley, and he played for us in our 1996 Grand Slam team. And I had him in Solihull. He'd got a British passport. His parents were from London. And Cows uh, was a real character. He'll tell a good story. You'll have Wayne on because he's got a story to tell. And uh, Wayne played in Solihull and then went and played in Edmonton for one game. Uh, turns up for the Edmonton Oilers golf tournament the following year where he's going to be part of the team. He turns up in a dress suit with a five iron and his pistols are fart. And unfortunately, that's the end of his Edmonton Oilers career. He goes and plays in Germany, comes and plays for us in Sheffield. And now he owns the uh, bar, I think it's called the Bottom Line, um, which is right next to the Hockey Hall of Fame, just by where the Maple Leafs play. And now he runs his big bar. Big character, great guy story to tell and there's lots of those i almost made it those what if stories oh and, they're, they're um, everywhere but like and that's the thing was like chicklets has really become a lot of they're they're big stars that come on there you know what there's a lot of yeah. the rest of us <laughs> yeah 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 
Yeah. But it is a good podcast. I enjoy listening to it. I listen. I only. I only listen to two podcasts, and that's Spitting Chicklets and Two Whales and Hockey Tales. Oh well, thank you. Um, I'm just very honored you came on because, like, you're very well known around the UK. And then when I tried to find some questions that maybe might even make the Steelers look, you know, you know, just maybe not great, but I couldn't find anything. Um, even dance, I put up, uh, the Instagram that you're coming on. I got people writing, Oh, I love Simsy. And I'm like, well, hold on. What? I, th- I thought, I thought well, there's going to be a little banter here. And then after I heard everything, people- I was like, well, geez, all right. <laughs> The only people who don't like me, and trust me, there's plenty who don't, uh, and there's plenty of people who respond to your social media. They're people who I've had run-ins over the year. And when you ask me what my role in the club was, the protector of the club, you come after the Sheffield Steelers, I'll come after you just as hard. And they're people who've been a bit upset. They've been a bit miffed with me, or they haven't got their own way, or they thought they could get one over on us and they haven't been able to. But anybody who comes to Sheffield, we treat really well. We try to. We do our level best. And... Um, I'd be horrified if there was people in the Steelers organization and players over the years that did have bad things to say, because we try at our level best to be good. But then there are people at other clubs who try and tickle us and they have to be slapped down. We're not afraid to do that. No, and you shouldn't be. That's it's that's the competitive spirit. You gotta you gotta you're gonna say you're gonna, you're gonna say you were speaking to Doucette in Nottingham and and then we 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 backtracked and we went somewhere else. I forget where we went. Yeah, no, no, I just God. just that I talked to Doucette was on about a week ago, uh, but just the now he's the Panthers guy, right? So now you got to have yeah. to have a big uh, rivalry with him, and he's just too nice. How do you how do you hate him? Because he's from Nottingham. <laughs> well, they ha- they do host a great <laughs> playoff weekend. No, no, simple. I mean, they got Tim Wallace who who played in Sheffield, and Tim Wallace is also a really nice bloke, really nice bloke, but he's now a Panther. So Walsh is a Panther. He's one of them. He's on the dark side. And um, it's go time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Time to line and up at they, the blue line and play the national anthem, right? Exactly. Exactly. They're the Panthers. We're the Steelers. They're, they're the dark. We're the light. We're the good. They're the bad. I, 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 that's 100% what it's like. You, I could play hockey against my best friend, and I would have no problem fighting him Like if it happened. Um, we had a player who played in Sheffield, he's, he's notoriously a hero in Sheffield, played on the 2001 Grand Slam team called Scott Allison, first-round pick of the Oilers, um, top bloke, top bloke, played his last year in Nottingham. Fuck, just mm. broke our hearts, this bloke. But then he was, he was like, you know, to the sword. He had, he, had, he, had to, he had to be despised, he had to be hated, he had to be disliked until, and then as soon as he left Nottingham, okay, come on, Scott, we'll... We'll tap you on the head again, and uh, but when you when you go to that club, that club is the antichrist to Sheffield. <laughs> I I think it's great. I think rivalries are great. I think the hatred's great. I think hockey needs more of it. Um, I think yeah. uh, when teams go out there and people are chatting at the red line during warmups, it just drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. Insane. Uh, oh, Insane. it's the worst. So. Um, the only other thing is that I got down is you sent me a picture. You were covered in like spaghetti and uh, someone had mentioned you're right into charity. So is there any charities that are like nearest and dearest to you or. Uh... That one that one was years ago, Children in, Children in Need, which is a big charity in um, 
in, uh, in, in the UK, it's a big TV charity. And what they did, they had three of us, they had the captain of the time, Ron Shudra, um, they had the local reporter from the Sheffield Star, Bob Westerdale, and they had myself. And fans had to go and put a couple of pounds in a bucket and say who they wanted drowning in the most horrible baked beans and shit and stuff like that. I think Ron Shuja raised 24 quid. I think Bob Westerdale raised 48. And our fans put about £3,000 into my pot. So I got covered in it. Um, we had a girl who was... Um, we had a girl who... We'd done some charity walks and stuff. And we had a young, young girl, beautiful kid. She was only 21. Her name was uh, Amy Usher. Uh, that was, and, when I, that um, was when I was playing in Cardiff. Yeah. We knew her there. And we were told that this very poorly girl was coming to the arena to, to meet the guys uh, from, the, from the teenage cancer unit in, in Sheffield. And this girl turns up, gorgeous kid with a sister, Beth. And we're looking and we're thinking, and I'll, I'll be totally honest, she having a son? She looks healthier than all of us. And she got this beautiful necklace on, Amy had, beautiful necklace. And she posed for the photographs with the boys in the room. And uh, all the boys are dropping the towels as you fuckers do. And, um, and we later found out that this necklace wasn't a necklace. She'd had a tracheotomy and she'd got throat cancer and it was horrendous. And we ended up walking from my home in Birmingham to Sheffield <clears throat> to raise money for the cancer uh, hospital. And then we raised money for uh, a young kid in Belfast that was a... A young lad called Blake, who terribly poorly lad, brilliant family, great kid, but a really sick kid. And he has a multitude of different diseases, and he's the only kid in the world that has this multitude of diseases. And he needed a new wheelchair, and that wheelchair was going to cost 10 or 15 grand. So we walked from Sheffield to Belfast and raised him the cash. Um, Sheffield to Belfast? Sheffield to Belfast, yeah. The other guys took the ferry. I just walked over the water, but... Um, <laughs> Pretty simple. <laughs> um, so we did that and we've walked to Manchester. We had, a, we had one of our all-time most appearance players, a guy called Mark Thomas, had a beautiful wife called Vicky, uh, two terrific kids. E-man, number 44. Vicky, 44, Mark Thomas, yeah. Scored an, you know what, in your season, he scored an overtime winner in Cardiff. I don't know. Right at the end of the season. Right at the end of the season. And unfortunately, his wife passed away. So we, we raised some money there for, we walked to Manchester then for, for that. So we've, we've done lots of little things. But you know what? We're in a very privileged position as a hockey club. We have a lot of supporters that we can tune into very quickly on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We have a, a target audience. And most hockey fans are decent people. There's a few ourselves at every club. You've got them in Cardiff. We had them in Sheffield. They're, they're in every club. Mm -hmm. um, and but but the vast 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 majority, ninety nine point nine percent of folk are good people who want to help. And if that's throwing a couple of quid in a bucket, or if you if you're comfortable enough and can do it, write a check out for hundred quid. They'll do it for a good cause. And um, Amy was an incredible cause because she was there. She was she was visible in in our games. Young Blake was visible. Mark, of course, had gone through what he's suffering, so he was visible. And if you can do these things, and you can. Uh, raise a couple of quid and, and do good, then then it's terrific to do that. Like we've just lost, we've just lost a player, eh? We lost a player that played in that Challenge Cup final against Cardiff, Marek Chonsinski, um, from the Czech Republic. Unbelievably good player. Great guy. And on, on, Sorry, on, what? On, you did, like, huh? the bubble that yeah. just happened? Yeah, the, the, um, not, the, end, the end of the season that finished where we won the Challenge Cup. Um, one of our players, number eight, he was our great eight, um, Marek Tronsinski. 
Um, unbelievably good defenseman, and he'd signed to come back for us for this season. Um, but unfortunately, lost his life only a few weeks ago. And um, our fans straight away raised ten thousand quid for his six-year-old daughter. You know, it's well, you know, I... hockey. The hockey community. The hockey community is an incredibly good community that does so much good. Um, and there's far more good in it than bad, and you have to tap into that good. Well, I, you know what, you have your perception of someone, and then you mm. have them on your podcast. And you reach out to people and ask about them. And uh, then you realize you had a whole, the wrong perception. And I, you know what, what you've done. And it sounds like you've walked to, from Birmingham to Sheffield, then to Belfast and then to Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. So you, you put in some miles. You put in some miles. I got bad feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad uh, for, a fat, for a fat 50, for a fat 56 year old who works in an office. That was pretty good going for us. But hey, but it was fun. And, and it's all part of the hockey community and the boys, the players. Uh, you know, my, the best part of my weeks, I used to love the bus trips. When I was younger, I used to just jump on the bus to the away games. And I used to go to the back of the bus and listen to all the stories and all you guys talk. Because hockey players tell the best stories. And um, I used to love those stories. And then I had stories of my own and added to them. Um, and nowadays, you know, I'm a bit older. I'm a different age group to the, the guys that sit on the bus. But I still, when I walk into the rink, I'm, I'm lucky that I can still walk into the dressing room. I can sit down with some of the younger guys. And the stories aren't as good these days as they used to be. Um, but I, I enjoyed being around hockey people and hockey players, hockey coaches. And uh, I'm very lucky. And if you know, I can continue to do that to the day I drop, I'll be very happy. Well, it's having a passion for something, right? Like, I I found a passion for what we're doing right now. Um, and it's brought me back into the game and I get to meet guys like you meet people all over the world. I feel like I'm mm -hmm. meeting new friends. I'm getting to know them like quite personally by the end of an hour and a half chatting with people. Yeah. And it's it, it, like you said, hockey players have the best stories. Like this is not about me. Yeah, this yeah. is about every single person that comes on and that they're mm -hmm. kind enough to give me their time. Um, but one thing that meant a lot to me this week was uh, like the wives that reach out to me and like, thank me for doing a podcast, right? Like, yeah. thank you for doing that with my husband. And I'm like, I wanted to do it. <laughs> like, you don't have to thank yeah. me. <laughs> don't you think, don't you think that sometimes that, you know, you play hockey for all this time and then you stop and you're a year or two years in the real world. Nobody's asked you for an autograph. Nobody's asked you for a sign stick. Nobody's asked you for anything. And then nobody all of a gives sudden, a shit. Some, nobody gives a toss who you are. And then all of a sudden you're invited back on again and again. All of a sudden you're that guy from the Devils or wherever Dan Seaman played in the Sodorinsky. Sodorinsky. And, and all of a sudden he gives you a, okay, Danny's still involved. Danny, bad example. Deeds, bad example. But other guys like Leggy, Jeff Legui, you'll speak to Jeff. And, you know, Leggy's not involved in hockey anymore. He says and he's back in Cornwall. Yep. Yeah, and he, you know, but, but he's going to be Jeff Legoy of the Sheffield Steelers again when he's on your podcast next weekend. And sometimes he just gives that guy the pickup. And you know them, I, I mean, everybody, I mean, I don't want to decry mental health. It's super important. But there's so many people, you know, that we've got past players of ours that we try and look after or stay in contact with that really struggle when they, when they left the game. Couldn't cope. And uh, you, you, you just got to try and be there for them as much as you can because there's some guys having a real 
tough time of it. And you just got to try and remind them of the good times, invite them back over, stand them at centre ice, let them wave at the fans again and remember who they are. And well, that's what we try and do. That's what Todd Kelman did for me. He brought me over. I went out, remembered who I was, and I was like, yeah, I miss this guy. Yeah, yeah. And and also, you know what, you, you guys bring... Again, I go back to that call I had just before I came on with one of our players. He says, I, I, I miss it so much. I miss being a Steeler. I miss skating out into the arena. The real world doesn't give me this. But what you guys have to remember is the enjoyment and pleasure that you guys give thousands of regular folks that work all week. I know we have season ticket holders at Sheffield that haven't been on holiday for 20 years. They can't afford to go on holiday so they can buy their season ticket and they can buy their replica shirt with that name on, with Laguille on the back. And it's their life. And you go on social media and you see it's their life. And to them, you are their Ovechkin, you are their Crosby. In fact, they don't know who Ovechkin and Crosby are, but they know who Laguille and Talbot is. They knew who Warren Fournier and Freta was. They now know who Beluca, Valorand and Connolly are. And actually, they're the superstars in their life. And I think that's one of the things Britain does. It makes the star players feel like superstars. Oh, and um, yeah. 100%, 100% you are somebody when you are there. And, uh, oh, it was the best time of, life. yeah, no, it was the best time of my life was playing over there. And, um, you know, there's, I, yeah, there's pressure everywhere you play hockey. But um, in the UK, you all also, I mean, I don't know if it's the same, but we used to go have a beer with the fans after and get to know them. And they yeah. would, they'd have you sign every jersey and you'd be like, geez, you bought another one? Like, don't you have five already? Yeah. Why are you buying another yeah. one? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but they well, would because guy, they would the, the guys in Cardiff, I think he's, he's got long hair. It looks a bit like a hippie, but he's a very, very intelligent guy. I, I think Todd told me he was either a solicitor or an accountant. And he wears, never wears the same shirt twice. Never wears it twice. And he's bought shirts from all over the world, all devils related. And he wears a different shirt every game. He must have hundreds upon hundreds of these shirts. I, and, but that's there, their thing. That's your gig. That's what you want. There is a uh, Potter, episode 22. He was a, my captain in Germany. Um, he had a fan that bought every jersey he ever wore everywhere. I think there was 20 to 30 of them. And he owned every one and they took a picture together <laughs> yeah uh, it, yeah no they're like they're, they're passionate though and like everybody needs passion for something and I, I in cardiff we would thrive off the passion of their fans and then we go to sheffield and like i'd be on the fan bus because i was injured and the, the the passion and the hatred for sheffield and how you guys yeah. win everything and we're finally here and we're gonna do it and then you'd hear all this and you're like, yep, let's do it. I'm in. And um, you just, the passion and the, it, you need passion for whatever you're doing in life, right? Absolutely. If you ever got the passion, then get out of it. Yeah. Whatever you do, whether that's work, home, you just got to get out. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Do you have anything else for me before we're done here? No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And I'll, uh, We'll get this out tonight and we'll uh, see if we can make it number one in the country. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, only, I'm only going to Germany the rest of the week. I'm only going to Zoom to Germany. So you're going to have to do it on your own. I'm not going to do five other podcasts. I, I've you're got competitive enough last week. I need to just 
start having fun and having my friends on all over the world. It can't just be about the UK. So we're going to Germany to see Dirk Robel, who has his jer his jersey retired and beating him. And I played with him before he overextended his arm. And um, then Jeff Legui or Derek Nesbitt, whoever else played with Chris Kunitz too in Ferris State. You, you, so what's your what's your connection with Leggy? What's your connection there? You just just you played against him in Shepherd or no, not Sheffield, Ferris State. Um, so when I had a really yeah. big year in college, him and his with Nesbitt, him and Legui, who had played with Kunitz a couple of years before, they were having big years too. And then um, yeah, we played against each other in Sheffield as well, like in 2008. And I believe then when I played there in 2014, 15, right. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I get these numbers passed to me and everybody seems to know who they want to have on, but Legui and Nesbitt were guys I reached out to. Um, I wanted them on they, they're, they're good guys that, uh, we battled a lot with. So it, it just keeps well, snowballing. Okay, let me man. tell you. In this phone is everybody's phone number. <laughs> so any player you ever want from anywhere, I can get it on this phone. Don't worry. Beautiful. This is this is thirty. This is thirty years of just hounding people. That's like so a Rolodex like, back in the day. It is. It's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, then all I got to do is get your phone number, and we're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> because I believe it was Stuart Kelly, who's a Devils fan, that did uh, hook us up here uh, on this. Eh? Yeah. And thanks to him because. Yeah. I couldn't be happier. We made this happen. And I think, uh, I think, I think everybody's going to get a kick out of this. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. It's not worth doing. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It brings back good memories and it's good to chat. And like I said, we've just been on the back of a bus, haven't we? That's what we've basically been doing for the last two hours, sat on the bus, chewing the shit. And uh, it's, it's great. Love it. It is exactly what I missed, exactly what I need in my life. And uh, to be honest, I've lost 20 pounds since I started this. And it's not because I'm working out a ton. It's because I'm happier. I have more energy. I'm, I'm happier. I'm back. I'm back. Right? Purpose. Yeah, Purpose. absolutely. absolutely. Purpose. So yeah. this has been another episode. And by the way, you're still in the game. So I can have you on as a multiple potter. Just so you know, when you're still okay. in the game, you can come back on. Okay. I, I, I sincerely hope so. And this has been another episode of Two Ales and Hockey Tales Hockey. with Simsy and Wally. Go Devils. Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all Cause they got no rhythm And that's alright Some people they drink too much Some people don't drink enough Some people are just like me I hope y'all forgive them I might stop and time I go